I love it. I love it because it, uh, what they spoke is true. And the only way you'll find that out is to be here. Amen. Really excited about all that's going on this week. I just think about uh, the conference crew that's coming up here Sunday night, 6 o'clock next week. Uh, well, it, it's going to be something special for all of us. And then, of course, the U Conference where we give God the weekend, every service, and just let God be God in our lives. Amen. How many appreciate that new song this morning that we sang? Nobody. Amen. So, so, so valuable. And I know that uh, corresponding to our conference is the release of the new album. We've had a little touch of that, a couple of new songs that they've shared with us, but oh my goodness, are they wonderful? And I believe that God is going to do something special with that album. T tell your friends, share it with them. I, I, I listen to it, it's on repeat in my car, uh, just to, to worship the Lord as I drive. Amen. And so, um, uh, let, let me just, it is Super Bowl Sunday, I, I know that. I'm aware of that. And so I wonder, is there any 49er fans in the house? Yeah. So are there any Swifty fans in the house? I'm, I'm not sure who's going to win the game, but I guess we'll find out. Amen. Uh, you know, uh, this morning, just before I get into the Word, uh, I'd like to pray over Joseph Menchaca. And uh, some of you may not be aware, but Joseph is into go going into the Fire Academy, which is kind of a very intense, um, uh, what is it, three months, something like that, six months, whatever it is, uh, time of preparation for his career and his future. And um, it's, it's intense, uh, a lot of training, a lot of work, just, just get right after it. And so very physically demanding and uh, also mentally demanding. And so we want to pray over him. Joseph, maybe you'd stand to your feet. How many of you pray with us this morning over Joseph? And so, Father, we thank you for one of ours going into this academy. Lord, we know the ability to save lives and to minister to help people. And Father, we know Joseph's heart, Lord, is not just a paycheck, but he wants to give his life and a career that would be beneficial to our community. And so, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I ask you, give him supernatural strength, God, supernatural understanding, Lord, that he might graduate from that the best firefighter in the world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Ah, yeah. How many of you love Joseph? Yeah. Amen. Let's get into word. What do you say? I, I, uh, I didn't uh, uh, speak about giving this morning, but we do thank you for all of your, the tithe that you bring in, the offering. It, it's such a blessing to our lives. Okay, let's go into the, the uh, second in this series uh, that we have entitled Re-Evaluate. And I think that's apropos because over the last 39 years, our church has been driven by a set of values. And I think every once in a while, it, it is good for us to stop, to reconsider, to think about that. Are we still upholding the foundational values that God ordained for our ministry? And are we still being true to them? And so last week, when oh, we began a series uh, with the characteristics that define, elevate, 
ministries. And uh, uh, after all, this is not uh, any person's church. This is our church. I said, this is our church. You agree with that? Ultimately, it's his church, but it's our church. It's the ministry that God has entrusted to us. And so last week, we uh, centered on the uh, priority of our ministry. And Drew highlighted two of the very foundational values of our church. He started with Jesus, who is the reason for everything that we do in our lives. Everything we do in our church, it's got to be founded on Jesus. And the second, so closely related to it, was the Word of God. And so we realize that the Word of God is so profound and powerful that we don't just preach it, but we seek to live it in our lives. And so last week, Drew talked about we're not just to give Jesus a place in our life. We're not just to fit him in to what we're doing, but we are to make him the priority of our lives. Amen. And we can't just fall in love with Jesus. He said it's so simple to do that. After all, Jesus is the one that saved us, that forgave us, that gave us a brand new start at life. But we also have to fall in love with his word, which may be a little bit more difficult than falling in with Jesus because of the nature of God's word to correct us and shape us and mold us into his followers. And then he said, we can't just uh, 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 fall in love with one without the other because they're a package deal. And he used the scripture that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And so we recognize that Jesus and the word are inseparable. It's a package deal. We can't just take the grace of God without the truth of God because Jesus is full of grace and truth. And we've got to incorporate both of those into our lives. And so today I'd like to explore the long-held values that define the character of Elevate. I'm talking about what identifies us, our identity. And so I would like to start with this thought that I put up on the screen for you. Maybe you would consider this with me this morning because our identity encompasses the memories, the experiences, the relations that are, relationships that are formed, and the values that create an atmosphere that you and I know as Elevate. Now just think about that for a moment because when you walk into this building, there's an atmosphere. And that atmosphere is created uh, uh, because of memories that are formed, because of relationships that we've developed, because of experiences that we've held uh, in common together. And so this ministry was founded way back in 1985, and I can assure you that it was birthed in passion. I'd had an encounter with Jesus Christ, and uh, there was a miraculous event that transpired. It rocked my world. It caused us to leave our home, our businesses, and come here to Southern California to pioneer this church. And, and, and um, uh, uh, the scripture that, that really resonates is 1 John chapter 4 and verse number 10, where the Bible says, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he first loved us and sent his son to be a payment for our sins. And so as you look at that scripture this morning, I recognized it wasn't so much that I fell in love with Jesus, is that I understood for the first time that Jesus fell in love with me. 
that there was something about the master that even though I was less than what I should be by far, there was something in the redemptive heart of God that he loved me and reached out to me. And so I began to devour the word of God. And I found out falling in love with Jesus was easy as Drew spoke last week, but falling in love with the word was something else entirely. Because what the word did was showed me my many faults. It showed me all the different areas that I needed to correct and, and bring into obedience to the word of God. And so I began to see that if I truly loved Jesus, that then my life was going to have to change. There would have to be a confirming uh, uh, design to my life that I would confirm his word by the life that I lived. I needed to reevaluate how I thought. I needed to reevaluate what words that came out of my mouth. I had to reevaluate uh, him as the priority of my life and my family, in my resources, the way that I handled my finances. And guess what? I found out it worked. How many of you have discovered that it works in your life? Joshua chapter 1 and verse number 8 says, Study this book of instruction. Do it continuously. Meditate on it, not just once in a while, but day and night, so that you will be sure to obey everything written in it, because only then will you make your way prosperous and succeed in all you do. And I remember as I studied that word of God, I realized that my, my function in falling in love with the word of God was to keep it in front of me, is to think about it on a daily basis as it applied to my marriage and my job and my finances, everything about that. And I made a decision to make Jesus the absolute priority of my life. No longer would I allow my business to drive my life. No longer would I let the, my desire to succeed drive my life. No longer would I allow the, 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 the uh, as, as I reached out to establish wealth in my life and my family, no longer would that be my priority, but Jesus would be the priority of my life. After all, he forgave me and he loved me in spite of my disregard for him. And so my passion of the Lord it grew day by day as my life began to change. And I realized that what I had learned could make a difference in the lives of other people. And, and, and God supernaturally began to call me to pioneer this church. And, and I've, I fought with God, to be honest with you. I, I asked him the question, why do I have to go start a church? Why can't I just go to church? I mean, after all, it's not like there's not a lot of them around. I, I wanted to do that. I had to know, though, that if I obeyed God and did what he had asked me to do, what could possibly come from, forth from it? So I began to, uh, through the word, I began to understand and envision what I wanted to see as a church. I envisioned a church alive with a passion for Jesus. Now, I'm not talking about alive from the pastor. I'm not talking about a lie from just a few of the people, but I envision a church like is here today with the people that are passionate about Jesus Christ, not afraid to enter into worship, not afraid to participate in every aspect of our ministry. That's what I wanted to see. I envisioned a church that was multiracial, just like God's kingdom. 
a church that, that, that incorporated every type of person, regardless of their background or their socioeconomic conditions. I saw that. I, I wanted a church that didn't just preach the word of God, but contended to prioritize it and implement it into their lives. I saw a church that where we would turn converts into strong followers, disciples of Jesus Christ that would contend for his presence and reach out into the community. A church dedicated to reaching the world for Jesus Christ at whatever cost that was involved. Now, I'm here to say I know that most every church that's in existence today espouse these basic principles. However, what I had experienced, what I had seen in my involvement in church was that most churches, maybe they started out like that, but they ended up uh, uh, settling for just having Sunday morning church services. They, they were content to exist without unifying, without empowering the church to make a real difference in the world in which they were. And so God began to upload a plan. And that plan was a, that if I had a radical faith and that radical faith could spread to a people, that they would apply the word of God. And if it would com uh, combine with values that God carried in his life, it would, it would produce a church that was capable of making a difference in the world. And so God began to unveil the character he desired for this church. Now it's important to understand that this happened always through times of revelation in God's word. We can't design a church that we want. We have to design a church that he wants. Amen. And so one of the revelations, many of you would know as I've spoken on this uh, many different times, but 2 Timothy chapter 2, there the Bible says in the second verse that the things, Carl, that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Now, if you really zero in on that scripture, you can understand that that is a value that we hold here. That I, uh, God had shown me many things through the word of God, but it wasn't about what he had shown me. It was about taking what God had shown me and spending the time and exerting the effort to deposit those into other faithful men for the purpose of generationally spreading the word of God. That, that what God had done to me, others could take that up, improve on it, move it forward into the world in which we live today. And so as a result of that, I began to speak this. You are important in God's plan. How many of you heard that before? Amen. Because it's something that is so dear to my heart. This has been a value of Elevate from the very beginning. And I mean to tell you, it was a humble beginning. We had a small church rented 1,500 square feet in a little uh, shopping center. Uh, we had no facilities uh, of any kind. We had no real um, uh, 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 you know, equipment. We had no uh, really abilities. We didn't even know what we were doing. But from that, we had no resources, no finances. But I realized that I could never reach the world by myself. The world's a big place. That I was going to have to reach converts uh, and 
impart to them what God had shown me and then place it upon all of us to do the work of, my, of, the, of God's Spirit in our lives. And so I had to go beyond giving Jesus a place. I needed them, to, the, the, the congregation, to go beyond them just giving Jesus a place in their life to becoming the priority of their lives. Now, maybe if you, many of you may have heard Adam as he, he recounts the original church service that was held. And of course, the way he remembers it and the way I remember it are two distinctly different things. But he would, he will get up and he'll share and say, when that original service, there was my dad, it was so weird. There's dad up there, you know, and nobody showed up, just mom and me. And there's dad, he gets up to the pulpit. He doesn't have the wisdom to cancel the service because no one was there. Instead, he said, he got up there and he began to preach. Dad said, we're going to reach the world for Jesus Christ. Now, we know went through a fourth grader's mind at that time uh, as, as I begin to, to uh, deliver that word. But, but I, uh, uh, I had a plan. And that plan was that I was going to impart what God had done to me in other people and that together, not just from me, but from all of us together, we were going to do something profound and powerful for the kingdom of God. I saw my role. I saw it as a pastor. I knew that. But my ministry would not be about me. I wouldn't want to impress people with what I knew. Instead, I would take the time again. I would make the effort to deposit my passion, to deposit my hunger for the Word of God, my dedication to the converts that would come into our ministry, and I would duplicate myself in them because they would be important in God's plan for our future. And so for 39 years, let me just tell you something, nothing's changed. You're still important in God's plan. Amen. Now think about it. What would our church be without you? And I think it's important that that kind of a question is asked. I ask that, that question of myself at this stage of my life. What would Elevate Ministries be like today without me? How could we possibly reach our community without you? How in the world would we make disciples, support missionaries, teach and display God's character in all the different workplaces that are encompassed here. And I began to realize, uh, I, I, I began to preach rather, what I realized that it was gonna take every one of us, that every person that came into our ministry would be important in God's plan. In 1 Peter 4 and 10, it says, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. And so the thought behind that is that the, the almighty God has gifted every one of us in a special fashion from all the different gifts that are available from God, all the different talents and, and abilities. They're all different, but each one of us has been given at least one and maybe more. And he's done that uh, uh, in our lives. And notice what he says. He says, then use them well to serve one another. 
And so the goal was not just to tell people they're important in God's plan and that God's given them a spiritual gift, but then to encourage them to use that gift for the kingdom of God. See, my experience to that point in life was that church revolved around the pastor. Yeah, there, there'd be a few people that would, uh, you know, uh, that come alongside him, volunteer and help in certain ways. But most of the congregation would just attend church. They'd come in and they'd leave and there was no real change in their lives or ministry. And the reason was, I discovered, is they had no skin in the game. How many of you understand what I just said? There was no personal involvement. There was nothing that they had put into the ministry. And so what they did was sit there and listen week after week to what the pastor had to say. And so I began to see from this scripture that every member, somebody say every. And let me just tell you something, that means you. That every member was to be utilized to fulfill the plan of God that he had for us. Their, their background, their race, their economic situation, their education level, none of those things were important. Uh, they were to be directly everyone involved in the work of the ministry just like it was in Jesus' day when he reached out to embrace those that were not educated, that were not wealthy. Acts 4.13 says that the, uh, uh, the religious people of the day, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived they were uneducated and um, untrained men, they marveled. Why did they marvel? They saw they just common folks. They weren't educated in scripture. There was nothing special about them. But what they did see, it says they realized that these people had been with Jesus. And that's what we strive for here. That everyday regular people, doesn't matter whether we're plumbers uh, uh, or, or, or bankers or politicians or whatever the heck we are, it doesn't matter. We should be bold people doing the work of God. Why? Well, because we've been with Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. Uh, today, Elevate Ministries has so many passionate volunteers. They have discovered why and what is the very purpose of their lives. And many, so many of you have involved yourself in the work of the ministry. You've got skin in the game. So it takes all of us. Think about this for a moment. What would we do without our e-group leaders to teach and make disciples? What would it be like if it was just left up to the staff to try to engage every man, teach him how to be a man, how to live for God, how to raise his children, handle his finances. How could we possibly accomplish that? And so we've multiplied ourselves in wonderful, committed e-group leaders that want to deposit what they've learned into your life. What would we do without the departmental leaders that lead our volunteers uh, every Sunday morning? What would we do without prayer warriors that 24 hours a day are manning a prayer hotline? What would we do without the Saturday morning gathering that is here where people are pouring out their hearts for you uh, and for God to move in the lives of people? What would we do this morning without greeters and ushers and parkers and sound and lighting technicians, musicians, uh, 
that, that we couldn't put on a church service like we do if it wasn't they understand they're important uh, in the plan of God. And so you and I have to understand we're financially involved in the work of the ministry together. We bring the tithe and the offering into the house of God so that there could be work that's done in the kingdom of God. How else would we help destiny rescue, reach the lost uh, and those that are enslaved? Uh, how else could we plant a, a church uh, in Culiacan, Mexico or build the building that we saw last week in Mexico? There's only one way. Uh, we have to be together uh, uh, in gathering, but we've also have to have a purpose that we have to make a difference in this world. Make no mistake, you are important in God's redemptive plan. Do you believe that this morning? If you do, say amen. However, the fact that we stand up here and tell you you're important is one thing. That's the exciting part. I'm somebody. God has gifted me. But the key to that has to be unity. With art, without operating as part of a shared vision and purpose, it would be very ineffective. Everybody doing what they could on their own. We know that synergy is the combined power of people working together. It is so much greater than the power of people working independently. And so it's hard to believe that, that in, in 39 years of ministry, I, myself, and others, many others from our church, have traveled to over 35 nations of the world. That we've held crusades and revivals in conferences in foreign countries, and many of them communist or uh, post-communist nations, pot nations of third world character. And together we've planted, whether you know it or not, 50 churches here nationally. Now some of those churches are no longer operating, maybe operating, some of them operating independently, but that's come forth from our combined efforts. Today we have five campuses in four different states that are operating. How in the world could even a very talented pastor pull that off? And unfortunately, you don't have that talent of a pastor. How could we do that? Well, we couldn't. The only way we can do that is if we, 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 we link ourselves together in unity and work towards a common purpose so that we can impact our nation. Amen. We say it like this. Together, together. Say it with me, would you? Together, together. Our church values each doing their part, but they value it when we do it in unison with others towards the shared calling. And so we gather to build a faith community. And I can tell you, I, I would imagine that the vast majority of people here, you're not here this morning because you have to be. You're here because you like to be. You want to be in the house of God. So why do you want to be in the house of God? Well, there's a faith community, people to laugh with and talk with and share hearts with and encourage each other, pray for one another through life's ups and downs. It's valuable. It's, it's important that we gather together. But there has to be more than that. There has to be a purpose for our gathering. 
And so God's stated purpose is for us to operate like a well-oiled machine working together to put on church services, to do community outreaches, to work to change the world and missions and all the things that we do. Henry Ford said it like this. He says, coming together is a beginning. Keeping together is progress, but working together is success. Now, I want you to just look at that for a moment together because when coming together is, is definitely the start of it. And I, as so many of you that are new that are coming to our church, that's the beginning of it. We're so grateful that you've decided to join together with us. And keeping together is going to be a bit of a challenge for you. And the reason is, is because when we're in community like we are, you got to learn to forgive. You got to learn to love people that maybe normally you would not love or even know because they're from a different type of background than you are. But if we can persevere through that, we can ha work together, we can have great success. Amen. Now, Henry Ford applied this principle to manufacturing. Many of you would recognize that. Instead of the original cars that were being built, one highly skilled man in a shop working to put together all the components of a, ch of a car, make sure that it could run and operate, he saw something different, and so he began to think about a, a line of workers. Instead of one worker that could do everything, just several, many different workers that had uh, 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 expertise maybe in one area, and that they would together begin to work on cars. Now, there was a result to that, and the result to that was that, that it increased productivity. It reduced the costs that were involved in it. And that made cars affordable for you and me. And so today, you and I can drive up in a car, we can all own a car, and the reason was, is that together, together, they built the automobile. Now, Jesus showed us the same principle as it, reply, as it applies to our church. And his example was a healthy human body. In 1 Corinthians 12 and 18, the Bible says, but now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleases. Now, he's talking about the human body and how the toes are not the nose. They're not placed on the, up here where they wouldn't function well. They're placed on our feet where they operate well. And, and, and he said, this is the way that I have uh, ordained, I have put together the body so that each individual part of that body work together so that we can live a good life so that we can have marriage and have family and we can be productive on work. Everything that you and I do is because God put the members of our body together in such a way that we can do great things. And so in Romans chapter 12, verse number four, he says just like that, just like our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with the church, the body of Christ. We are we are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. In his grace, God has given us these different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. 
If you're a teacher, well then get down to it and teach well. If your gift is to encourage other, be encouraging. If it's giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take responsibility for that gift and do it seriously. And if God has given you the gift of kindness, then get busy and show that gift into the body of Christ. This takes unity. Take authority over our natural uh, uh, tendency to be recognized and instead fit ourselves into the place in the body where God has placed us. So if we can get together, take our place, it's not about me, it's not about you. We say you're important, you are, but in, in, in a portion. It's the importance of the body working together. It's there that we're important in God's plan. Unity is one of the most effective ways to achieve progress in anything. It's more, it really, it's one of the most powerful forces on the planet. And that explains why it's so difficult to obtain, much less to maintain or sustain. It seems like uh, uh, it means that you and I have to learn to grab a hold of our pride. Now, I know you're probably not like me. You know, you probably have no trouble with pride, but the vast majority of humans, other than you, do. And so when we work in the kingdom of God, it doesn't matter whether we're shaking a hand or whether we're turning on the lights. It doesn't matter whether we've cleaned the facility or whether we're preaching the sermon. Each one of us have to take the part that God has ordained for us. This takes unity. And so the spiritual truth, this spiritual truth, is so missing in much of the church world today because God, in his wisdom, made sure that every person that get, are, are born again have a part to play in the kingdom. But he left it up to us to humbly take that place. Notice what he said. If you have this gift, use it. Get active, get involved. And so it's our church's responsibility to give opportunity to every believer that comes through the doors to get out the gift that God has placed in their heart so that they have some skin in the game, empower them so that they can use that gift effectively, and then you and I uh, uh, are then uh, find out the very purpose well, why we're here on this planet. Let me just tell you, it's more than getting up every morning, going off to work, getting a paycheck, and paying your bills and then repeat it the next week. There's more to our life than that. And so we have modeled this from the very inception of this minister. I was the preacher. I was the janitor. Bonnie was the teacher. And she was amazing. Doesn't matter whether it was kids that find, uh, founded the kids' ministry of our church or whether to the women, teaching them all that they would need to do to love their husbands and do as Scripture says. And Adam, though he was only in fourth grade, was my number one disciple. Everything I needed help with, which was a lot, he was there for me. And even at that young age, was able to contribute so much to the work of the ministry. And every convert that came through our door, we added to that. 
we opened doors for them to get involved. And let me just tell you something. When we started our church, we didn't have too many PhDs come through the door. They were drug addicts, amen, prostitutes. People that came into our church were gang members. and I mean, fresh out of jail. They had no money. They had no common sense. <laughs> it was, I'm telling you, it was, it was bizarre. As the beginning of our church, we could tell stories for days, amen. But what we did is we taught them that their salvation experience was important in God's plan. We taught them how to share their testimony. And then we took them out on the streets and taught them how to do it. We taught them that they were broke because of the way they handled their finances. And this is the way God intended us for it to function. We taught them how, we encouraged them how, and of course, many of them grabbed a hold of that. We instilled within them that if we would work together from different backgrounds, we could reach different people. If we came from a drug addict background, that that's valuable in the kingdom of God. If we'd come out of jail, that was a wonderful gift from God for us to be able to reach others that were in a similar situation. And we instilled in them that if we worked together, we could reach the world for Jesus Christ. And then we did it. We continue this model to this very day. I realize I'm an aging founder. And what I have strived to do is to make sure that the release of ministry, especially the minister preaching uh, part of the, the service, is, is, is put into the hands of a team of individuals that are highly uh, capable. I've done that because they have a gift. It's been given to them for God. I, I, I still think about Bryn preached a sermon here that was so much in people's memories that we brought out big thunder. <laughs> Amen. What a gift to the body of Christ. I think about Drew, a young man, 25 years of age, and stands up here and preach, and I know your jaws drop just like mine does, and we realize our kids are getting the real deal. Amen. <laughs> you know, we listened to a sermon series like we just finished about truth and how it matters in our life. And our lead pastor stands up here and ministers week after week a, a, a series of messages that bring us so close that we're still talking about it weeks and weeks later. And so we've got to remember something, that you and I have a goal, each one of us. And so 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse number 10 in the, in the Passion Translation, this scripture is so important. He says, I urge you, my brothers and sisters, for the sake of the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to agree to live in unity with one another and put to rest any division that attempts to tear you apart. Be restored as one unified body living in perfect harmony from a consistent, listen to this word, choreography. Like you think about the Super Bowl today, there'll be dancers that are all dancing in one, like as in one. From a consistent choreography among yourself, having a common perspective with shared values. This means that the goal is to have everyone involved with one vision, all taking their part, their place, 
as God has gifted them. You know, one of the ways that I, I discovered this and I believe gave this church a strong foundation was found in James chapter 2. There the Bible says, My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? For example, James says, suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes, expensive jewelry, and another comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, you can stand over there or else sit on the floor, well, doesn't this discriminate and show your judgments are guided by evil motives? Listen to me, brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor in this world rich in faith. Now, I think most churches and believers interpret this as a call not to discriminate against the poor. And to some degree, obviously, it does. But I saw it as God's plan for Elevate Ministry to become a spiritual powerhouse, to harness the power of those that were often overlooked by society, to harness the power of those society undervalued and looked at with eyes that think well, you're not, you, you don't mean much, you don't have much. And so I saw that God had chosen these people rich in faith. Now that's something that's useful in the kingdom of God, can I hear you say amen? And so I began to realize, and I'm so grateful, but at the beginning, we didn't have any rich, powerful people to give a better seat to. But today, we have wonderfully successful business owners. We have in our church wonderful lawyers and people that are teachers, professional people. We have, and, and they're so valuable in the work of God. But I want to tell you, it's not just those people that are valuable in the kingdom of God. It's all of us. And God, when you mix those that have had to struggle in life, that have been through a few things, people that have experienced things that I've not experienced, God's chosen them rich in faith. And you know what we need to do? Rub shoulders together with them and take the faith that God's given them to overcome and apply it to our lives. And we see it in 1 Samuel 16 and 7. God speaks and says, don't look at the appearance. Don't look at the physical stature for the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks outwardly, but the Lord looks at the heart. No one should be overlooked because God has empowered all of us. We need everyone. It doesn't matter your background. You think you're disqualified because you've struggled in life. Let me just tell you something. You're sadly mistaken. You have a part to play here at Elevate Ministries. Now, the way we do that, do this here at our church is through something called eConnect. And there's a QR code that's being put up on the screen that you can, you can, you can grab a hold of because this is a simple process that you can do at your own time and your own convenience. It's just, it's just a simple process that starts you on the path to doing what God has called you to do and finding the purpose in your life. You, don't, don't resist that. We need you. 
1 Corinthians 1.25, the foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans. And God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose those things and the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they're wise. They chose things that are powerless to shame the powerful. And I think that actually spells out who we are at Elevate Ministry. Now, I saw this in Scripture that God would use anyone regardless of their background because David, the man who was on the run, despised, had nothing. Uh, he was going to be God's man to take the kingship of Israel. And the Bible says at the beginning of his ministry, 1 Samuel 22 and 2, everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, everyone who was disconnected gathered to him and he became captain over them. And there were 400 of them. And that I think describes effectively the beginning of our church. Everyone who was in debt, messed up and troubled, they gathered together, but together, Together, we formed uh, the foundation of a ministry that you're sitting in this morning. Uh, and I can tell you, it didn't, uh, this church was formed by people that had not much finance. It was formed by every race, every socioeconomic group, every background, because he brought people together on purpose uh, and placed them in the body to take their place. Uh, and because of unity, we came together and we have touched the world for Jesus Christ. But let let me just tell you something. God's not done. God's not done. This next generation, we're going to touch the world for Jesus Christ greater than we ever have in our past because Elevate Ministry, we are what we are because of our values. And that means we are today because of you and you and, and sitting way there in the back, you, every one of you because together you and I form Elevate Ministry and together we're determined to walk together in the purpose that God has for us to walk and function in unity, humbly working in lockstep with others to fulfill the plan of God that we have for our lives. Let me just tell you something today as I close. This is a wonderful season to reevaluate your determination to work together to enlarge the kingdom of God. Next Sunday evening, we gather together. Normally don't have an evening service on Sunday, but at six o'clock, we're gonna gather together and it'll be the volunteers and people that are interesting in volunteers. Hopefully it's all of you. We're gonna gather together with um, the, the, the North Campus and we are together gonna pr plan out function, how we're going to put on this conference, because it takes all of us to do that kind of work. It's a wonderful season for you to take that step to get involved. We're going into a season where we have the conference, unity, contending for the presence of God. And it's going to take every one of us pouring out our hearts, sacrificing ourselves so that we can feel, know, and see the power of God on display. It's a season where we get together with our heart for the house offering. We're together sacrificially as a body. We come together and we finance the future 
of our ministry, the, the, what, 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 what we want to accomplish, what God has for us in 2024. And that's the time we come together because of Passion Week and all of the evangelism and involvement that, that's a part of it, right up to Good Friday with our service in the amphitheater where we partake in communion and worship the Lord, all the way to the celebration of Easter Sunday morning on March 35th, 5th, 31st. It's going to be a powerful time in the presence of God. Let's bow our hearts for a moment. In the presence of the Lord, I pray this morning that my efforts to enlist you, to encourage you, I pray that they bear fruit. Because I know from experience that in 39 years, we've been able to accomplish amazing things for a small church. And we've been able to accomplish it not because of necessarily great leadership, not necessarily because of great ministering preaching, but because of every person taking their place in a church that I would define as a well-oiled machine able to do what God has called us to do. And so today, I wonder in this place that as I've ministered this morning, maybe you found yourself here and you have never received Christ as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you heard the stories of the four people who were baptized this morning, the decision they made to take a step of faith and surrender their lives to Christ. Maybe you're here today and inside of you, you, you would say, "That's I need to make a determination. I need to make a decision. And if that's you today and you want to give your life to Jesus Christ, if you want to take a stand for him, I wonder if you would, for just the next few moments, just raise a hand up and then you could put it right back down. But with that upraised hand, you'd say, that's me. I want to give my life to Jesus. I don't want to just come to church. I want to be his church. I want to be my part, place my part. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Then let me, then let me just take a moment to pray with you and over you this morning. Pray over you that you would make the decision to get yourself not only gifted by God, not only important to God, but actually involved in Jesus' name. Father, today in this beautiful house that's been put together by your people so that we can worship you in, as a community. Lord, we're so grateful for that, but Father, we want to do more for you. And so, Father, today would you take each and every one of us, Lord, the gifts that you've imparted to us, the abilities that you've given us, so that we can each set aside our pride and take our place within the body to do the work of the ministry. And I pray that out in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand to our feet for a moment and worship him. Would you do that with me this morning? Worship the one. Hallelujah. So I throw all my cares before you. My doubts and fears don't scare you. You're bigger than I thought you were. You're bigger 
Amen. How many appreciate that, that word this morning? Amen. Amen. Why don't you do something real quick? Just, why don't you have a seat right where you are? I just, just want to address you just real quickly. You know, I just, over these last two weeks, the values of our church are just so important, so, so vital to who we are. Last week, Drew spoke, and he talked about the center of who we are is Jesus, that our priority is Jesus front and center and God's word being our blueprint. How many appreciate that value? That, that this church isn't built around a person, it's not built around a strategy, a building, a, it's built around the person of Jesus Christ and his word. And then today, in a very similar fashion, we talked about our identity. And Pastor Carl just ministered how we're together together. We're in person like we are this morning, but it's not just that we're together in person, but we're, we're also gathered on purpose. And that, that everyone here is important, not because we're important. I think we all recognize we're not important by ourselves, but there's something about being associated with the plan of God that brings importance to each and every one of our lives. And so in the same way, our, our being unified is centered on him and our importance and what we do with our lives is again centered on him. And you know, it, it really goes in lockstep with the theme of our conference. The theme of our conference is you, it's all about him. How many will recognize that our lives are about him? Once you've given your life to Christ, now your life is about him. And we really felt like this year that our conference needed to be focused on him. And that we we're gonna get rid of all of the other things that, that, that you know we, we've grown to enjoy and love about conference. And instead, we're gonna be fixated on the presence of God and we're gonna go after his presence because what we need at this hour, what we feel is an encounter with God. How many believe that? And so as I began to, to think about our conference in preparation for it, I really felt like the Lord put on my heart to lead our congregation in a fast, in a fast. And, and um, as I began to think about how to present this to the church, you know, my mind is, is kind of racing. And, and all of a sudden I felt like the goal of the presentation is to make it palatable, to make it, um, to make it light duty, to try and sell it, make sure everybody participates in it, you know, because I, I wanna make sure that, that, that I can present it and the congregation would be happy. I want our staff to be behind it. I want, I want my wife uh, to join in with me in this. And, and, and so I, in, in my thought process, Process, I said, well, what we'll do is we'll start a fast on Super Bowl Sunday and we'll go for one week and we'll break the fast at our conference crew night and we'll have Johnny and Jen make us some amazing food and we'll all eat it and it'll be wonderful. What a great fast. And, but as I was trying to prepare to, to sell this to you, I just couldn't get, I couldn't get release from God. Like it, I, it just, it just couldn't come together. And even talking about it with our staff on Tuesday, there, there was, there was hesitation. And so I, I began to think, well, what is fasting? You know, what is fasting? Well, fasting, we know it's, it's a deliberate and but temporary abstaining from food for spiritual reasons. It's, it's fasting something that your flesh craves in order to feed your spirit. And we recognize that fasting isn't the idea of a pastor. Fasting is God's idea. Is everybody here today? Some of you have turned me off. You're like, I don't want to hear anything he has to say. 
But, but if you look at Jesus' ministry, his ministry was birthed in prayer and fasting. And, 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 and Jesus said from his own mouth that fasting is for the followers of Jesus, for the disciples of Jesus. And he said it like this. He says, if anyone wants to be my disciple, he must deny himself and follow me. And now, I think you look, look throughout the Bible and you recognize there's different ways that, that we can fast. There's, there, there, there's so many different uh, you know, options, options for that, where, where you could fast uh, just water, you, where you, we're only drinking water, no food whatsoever. There, there's a partial fast, which is some of the most popular one would be like the Daniel fast, where like, like Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they, they said, we're going we're gonna to abstain from the king's meat and we're only going to eat uh, vegetables. There's the, there's the liquid fast. This is something that, that, that would be more prevalent to what I would do. Uh, but what I'm calling our church to is a corporate fast where our congregation and our body of believers come together and we fast in unity. It's something that we're doing as part of the plan of God, where we're coming together, together. We, we can see this happen in the Bible where even Esther would call the whole congregation, the, the people of Israel, to a time of fasting for a particular purpose so that her life would be spared when she went before the king. Now, a corporate fast is not a fast that you say, well, uh, I'll think about it. A corporate fast is something that we as a church say, we're doing this together every single one of us and it's not one of those things well I'll pray about it that's that's not what we're talking about but we've already prayed about it Jesus has already said it's part of his plan and it's something that we're going to do together and it's for everyone in the church regardless of whether or not you enjoy fasting because if it was just left for the people who enjoyed fasting no one would do it because no one enjoys it are you with me today now here's here's what I want to say and I I'm going to talk more about this at the conference crew night. I'm going to share my heart with you. And I would really love it if everyone was, was, would join us next Sunday night. But some of you have turned your heart away from fasting. And I know this is true because I, I've done this. Where I, I just turn my heart from, just the mention of the term fasting, already internally we begin to shut down. And we come up with all these excuses of why I can't do this and why it's not for me and, 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 and why, why, the, why, you know, I, I, there's no way I could do that. And, but, but, but I want, I want to challenge you that, that, that there's all, that, 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 that's how Satan works is he tries to turn our heart away from the things God's called us to do. And we have to be aware of that. And so my heart for you today is to turn your heart toward fasting. To, to make a subtle shift in your, in your heart. And the reason is, is because what I want for you and what I want for our church is for us to grow spiritually. If you read Matthew chapter six, Jesus is explaining how we grow spiritually. And he talks about three specific things. He talks about prayer, he talks about giving, and he talks about fasting. And I wanna tell you something, if we can apply those things to our lives, we will grow spiritually. We, we will grow into the powerhouse that God has called us to, to, to be. And, and, and so the reason that we're calling this fast is because we want to encounter God over the next little while. We want to have an encounter with the God. And here's the thing, I am not a fan of the experience of fasting. I don't like it, but I'm obsessed with the results of fasting. I'm obsessed with those results. And so on Friday morning, I was, 
I was, I was very early in the morning, I was praying and reading, reading God's word and, and just preparing for the day and preparing to present this one week fast to the church. And I really, I really felt like the Lord say, Adam, you got it backwards. Your, your thinking is wrong. Um, you need to, to rethink this. And I felt like a, like a, a, a kind of a, a spanking from the Lord for lack of a better term. And I, and I felt conviction because I had tried to place convenience on our fast. I tried to make it easy and convenient for all of us to participate. And that's not what God's calling us to do. Because as we learned last week when Drew was speaking that just because it's convenient doesn't mean it's beneficial. And so as a, as a congregation, what I felt the Lord putting on my heart to lead our congregation into, it would not be an easy sell. It wouldn't be an easy sell to our congregation. It wouldn't be an easy sell to our staff. And it wouldn't be an easy sell to my wife, all right? But here's the truth. Not everything that is convenient is beneficial. And I felt the Lord say to me, Adam, if this conference theme is you and it's gonna be all about him, then, then well, if it's, I felt God say, if it's gonna be about me, then make it about me. Make it about me. And I felt the Lord challenge me and, and in turn challenge our church into a season of fasting. Into a season of fasting. And what began as a week of fasting starting today and ending Sunday, we've scrapped that whole idea because it was backwards. What we're gonna do is we're still gonna get that good food from Johnny and Jen. It's just that we're gonna begin a season of fasting that following day. And if you count 40 days from that Monday, what you're gonna end up with is Good Friday. And then together as a body on Good Friday, we'll come together and we'll break that fast celebrating communion. Now, some of you are like, oh my God, are you saying we're going without food for 40 days? Like, is that what you're saying? Not necessarily. And there may be some of you that decide to do something that way. But what I'm asking you is to join with me and ask the Lord what he'd have you to do. What part of your flesh will you deny for a period of 40 days so that we can come together and grow spiritually? We can deny our flesh right, right straight through our conference, right straight through our big give, right through the passion weeks where we evangelize into our community and then come together and celebrate Good Friday together. Who knows what God could do with a bunch of people who've denied their flesh? The Bible says in, in 2 Corinthians 12, listen to this. God says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. You see, we talk a lot about wanting to experience the power of God, but never want to make ourselves weak enough to experience it. And so some of you are th already thinking, there's no way I can fast. No, no. The Bible says right there, Jesus, my grace, there's a grace for it. God will give you a grace for it, whatever he's put in your heart to do. I'm asking you for this week to pray and ask the Lord how you can deny your flesh, how, how you can commit to denying your flesh for 40 days and, 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 in, and in place of the strength that you would receive from your, your fleshly being, we're gonna insert the grace of God. We're gonna insert the power of God. So f starting February 19th all the way to March 29th, which is Good Friday, it's a 40-day season of fasting. I just, I just wonder what could happen? What could happen if we give God that? If we give God that? If anyone wants to be my disciples, he must deny himself and follow me. Now next Sunday night, 
I'm gonna, I'm gonna go into detail about this. I'm gonna talk about different ways that you can fast. I'm gonna express my heart. And as you know, last year, I, I personally went on a 40-day journey, a fasting journey right leading up to our conference. And I felt yesterday the Lord put on my heart to, to look for the miracles that resulted from that commitment. And I began to jot some of those miracles down even yesterday, and I'm gonna share that with you. Because, because I believe there's a, miracles will follow fast, will follow a season of denial, it will, ha it will happen. And so the things that you're believing for in your family, the things you're believing for in yourself, the things you're believing for in your ministry, things you're believing for in this church, I believe, I believe God can cause all of those things to happen because of his power working through our weakness, amen? Lord, we thank you for this, God. Lord, we thank you for this challenge and we're up for it as a community of people. Lord, we're together together. Lord, we're, we believe that we are important in the plan. And as we come together as a church, Lord, and we accept this challenge, I pray, Lord, that in our weakness, Lord, you would provide the strength. Lord, that, that, that your grace that is sufficient for us, Lord, would, would, would cause, Lord, a season, this season of fasting to turn into a season of power. Miracles beyond our expectation. Lord, we want more than anything an encounter with you. We thank you for this today. We give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right. You still love me? All right, good. Enjoy the Super Bowl. Come on. Next Sunday, we'll be right here in the house of God. Plan to be with us next Sunday night. God bless you guys.